0: Hotline for the community by the community. I'm your host Bob Fang, and today we got Erica G on the interview.
1: <sighs> thank you, thank Erica, you, thank you. Why don't you
0: introduce yourself?
1: My name is Erica Golden. I live in Los Angeles. Uh, what about do you? What do you? I. What would you like to know about me?
0: Anything you want to share with uh, with a kid, maybe a high school kid?
1: I'm a, I'm a runner, I'm um, in, in sales, and I have a background in music.
0: Got it. Love that. Love that. Let's go into uh, the first question of the day. Um, let's get super deep with it. What are three defining moments in your life and how do they impact you?
1: Let's start with the easy one. Uh, training for and completing the Los Angeles Marathon last year—that was my first marathon. Uh, the half marathon that was a part of the training regimen was also my first half marathon, and I only run a five k race uh, prior to that whole experience.
0: Got it. And how did that def- uh, how did that impact
1: you? It's. It's a real, uh, for, so for people who don't know, a marathon is 20, is a 26.2 mile race. So it's not something you just do, it's a major accomplishment. And even people who run a lot don't, like, you train, you only run a few maybe more if you're more experienced depending on how hard you race the race as opposed to just running it you only do so many marathons in a year because the recovery time for running a marathon is so massive um so just to i'm saying this just sort of to conceptualize how big of a deal it is to run a marathon you know runners like to joke because people often say oh i'm running a 5k marathon it's like no you're running a 5k race (laughs) a marathon is 26.2 miles you know um a little bit of a background is that i got into running a few years back when i lived when i first moved to downtown los angeles um i had moved downtown to la sometimes when you're in your 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 30s your friends start having kids and, like, basically, you have you might have social circles, and all of a sudden, in a very short period of time, those social circles can change dramatically, which can be kind of hard if you've had a really, really tight-knit social community that's been a part of your life for, like, a decade, and then to just watch it, like change you know like that's it's it sort of felt like it was like I was cheated I like was like what do you mean like you're not gonna always be with me forever like you you've been my everything for like the last 10 years not everything but you get the idea right and and I've talked to other friends that that are I don't know I don't know why this came as a surprise to me but I was like yeah of course like you have friends that like and I'm not saying all of my friends who have kids have disappeared but like like it it definitely was like a shock that it was like oh I'm gonna have to start again like creating my social circles Um, and so I moved downtown and my office and my, my apartment were two blocks away. Um, and there was a running group that literally met in the block in between the two. And I kept on walking by and being like, I look like I could fit in there. (laughs) Um, and so, um, I got involved and realized I was completely out of my league really quickly. (laughs) Um, I, I really couldn't run a mile at that point. Um. Like, I remember spending time on the treadmill in my building until I could, like, right, run a mile. Like, I think I didn't go for the first time until I'd finished, like, a mile on the treadmill by myself. And even then, like, I still sometimes there are days where I go and I feel like I am very... Let me rephrase that. I there are lots of people in this group that are still way, way, way faster than me. Um, and it has been surprising to me to find out some of those faster people still haven't run a marathon. Um, so it's, it's it's a slightly different, like training for distance and training for speed is not necessarily the same thing. Um, basically, I a friend was putting together a 16 week training program for, this, for the LA Marathon. And knowing that like the first week would be somewhat easier and then we get a little harder and we get a lot of hard over a period of 16 weeks and so i just showed up for the first week of training like basically it's a series of long runs on saturdays and then they give you like your homework on all the runs and miles and exercises you need to do between one week and next and so i just showed up and then i did what they told me to do slowly <laughs> um, and I just kept them coming back every week, and I made each of my long runs. It went from like six miles to eight. like there's a there's different methodologies that people download and follow off the internet, but it was some sort of pattern of like six miles on a Saturday, eight miles, seven miles, ten miles, seven miles, 12 miles, and then a half marathon. Um, and so I'm not even sure if I knew I was going to do it. I just showed up the first week and I did the work and I didn't die so I showed up the next week and I still didn't die and I showed up the next week and I still didn't die. Some weeks I felt like dying but no the weekend yeah people have told me after because I finished my the, the 20 mile run for some reason like you have good runs and you have bad runs like the 14 mile I did not look that good after finishing the first I think it was the second 14-mile run, and then, but the 20, I was okay. People are like, "You don't even look that bad! Like, that's really good." And then after the 20-mile run, you start. They call it's called tapering, and basically, the theory behind training for a marathon is that it's better to be underprepared and rested than overtrained and tired, because you're more prone to injury. So basically, you train, you train, you train up, and your, your your miles increase from week to week to week to week to week, and then you get to the the run. That's 20 miles, and then you you start to taper over a period of like two, three, or four weeks. I don't remember exactly, Um, and I didn't really go into it with the mindset that I was going to run it, and I just kept on showing up every week and was like, okay, I didn't die, so I'll keep on going. Uh, I was told somewhere between like the first or second week that you're you're, and because I had the schedule of the long runs, like the distances and was told that your long run should never be more than 40% of your totally weekly mileage. Um, and clearly I'm self-employed, which is why I had the time to do this. I would like, so that mean, I mean, there were weeks where I had to do 25 to 40 miles a week. Um, and that as you know, like, how do you, I was not at the level even then where I could do an eight mile run and like, not need a lot of recovery but i knew i needed to get in a certain amount of miles so i would do like three miles early in the morning and two miles in the afternoon and then another three or four miles in the evening well by the time you're done doing all that you've just got it in eight miles right so and i just did this every day for a really long time <laughs> um it was a big deal it was a big deal to finish the marathon um i had some people who hadn't been following that i'd been doing the training because there's social there's this thing called strava it's like facebook for for runners basically and you can see what you're doing in training and different things and stuff and um i had somebody who was you know who was kind of like, so erica have you been training like i guess he just didn't realize that i've been doing it um and i said well i did one 18 mile run so far in 216 he's like oh okay you're ready you know and i had another person who was like erica have you been doing this i don't remember what it was but it was sort of implied like he he was basically i went back to him later i'm like you know you can follow me on strava i've been putting in the work of uh, and at that point in time he knew i was teasing him and he's like no i believe you i'm not actually on strava it's too stressful like having people watch me like how fast i'm going it puts undue pressure on me and this is someone who runs like a six mile like multiple who can easily run a hundred miles in a month every month so yeah. so uh okay. So your so,
0: so basically, it was uh, your first defining moment was uh, you finishing your first marathon and, and all well, that course. was
1: recently. So I'm I'm old enough that I wouldn't say that was my first defining moment, but I'd say I'd say it was a big. I think it's a big deal. Um, What's your second one? Oof, the marathon one was so easy. Um, the first thing that pops to mind is moving to Los Angeles. Um, I moved out here the summer after I finished my master's degree. In a former life, I was a classical musician. I mean, I still am to some degree. Um, My degrees are in clarinet. I have a bachelor and a master's in clarinet. And um, at the time, I still wanted to pursue a career as a clarinetist. And I don't know what my mother thought I was going to do after getting two degrees in clarinet. And I don't know why she thought I would pursue i don't know why she thought i would have continued to pursue this after i finished a master's degree um so she didn't really approve of me moving to los angeles um and everyone was sort from of a... say that again
0: where are you originally from
1: i'm from dc suburbs and i went to school in philadelphia Got it. so when i was done with my master's degree i basically packed up all my luggage i think i had like two large suitcases and like five different clarinets and I packed up a bunch of stuff in boxes, which my dad agreed to store in the basement until I had an address. And then he sent me a bill for $150 because that much was how much it cost to ship the boxes from Washington, D.C. suburbs to Los Angeles. And I bought a car. And I hit an 18-wheeler in less than two weeks. <laughs> and the car was so gone, you did a new word for about Like like the airbags, like it was bad. It was very bad. Um, uh, so. Um, yeah, um, I was convinced, how I was just, you? say that again? And how did that impact
0: you moving to LA after finishing?
1: Well, like I just did it. Like, you know, everyone thought it was crazy. Like, but at the same time, everyone was sort of impressed that I did it as well. Like, you know, like, I think both of these things, you know, I guess there's some things in common. This is sort of like, can you do it? You know, and then just like sort of pushing yourself to do it um, because, you know, when you're, when you're like 20, how old was I, 22, maybe a little bit older um and you like just move across the country i don't know a single person out here that's not true I've seen like two people but like not well but like you know you just move it like you just figure it out like you don't have all the answers you have to take the first steps before you have all the answers i guess that's a, a reoccurring theme here like you just take the first steps even though you don't have the answers um because i i came out here when, when i first was out in la i was attending a young professionals program up in Idlewild, which i don't think exists anymore Um, and I didn't know where I was going to move. I just knew that there was a really good youth hostel in Santa Monica, um, and that, like, they had a locker, so I had a place to put my clarinets, Um, and, like, it just sort of came together to some degree. Like, I got, like, I came out here, and while I was at the praying program, someone's like, do you want to rent a room in my house? I was like, I was trying to figure out i remember being on the phone with my dad i'm like should i rent a room in this house he's like are they going to make you sign a lease i'm like no he's like rent a room in the house you can move out whatever the hell you want to <laughs> how much were they charging you at the time i was like they were charging me like 400 a month it was in san gabriel and um so i moved to san gabriel and i stayed in san gabriel a lot longer than i was anticipating because i didn't anticipate totally my car um i I had a job for like a day at the Hollywood Bowl and then I told my car. I remember calling them because I was on the way to the job when my car got totaled. I was like, just so you know, I'm not coming into work today or tomorrow or the day after that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, my, you know, my uncle helped me bought my car and then, um, like I just, I, I don't know. I was just convinced I was going to turn Los Angeles public transportation into Philadelphia transportation, uh, which was, of course, like very silly. But I was conv- like, you know, it was just the, the naive young person just think like thinking you're like, I'm going to force it into existence. And to be fair, there are lots of public transportation options in LA that people like people don't take advantage of and do work efficiently. Um, but but uh, yeah, you living primarily off of public transportation in los angeles is is a way to feel very isolated Um, so i didn't have a car for a while um and i i was trying to find work which was difficult and i i went to go down to the strip mall down the street to see if i could apply for a job and finally like i got to a subway and I went to fill out the application and I was planning on lying because like no one's going to hire me with a master's degree to work at a subway restaurant. And um, and then I realized I'd have to lie about what I was doing. Like I had to put something else like they had my ID, like they'd know what my actual birthday was. And I said, screw it. And like, I put my master's degree, I put all my scholarship, I put, <laughs> I put all my awards. Like, like, I just put everything. I was just like, I'm pretty sure I got a 100% on the math section. You know, like if someone gives you a 20, you know, a dime and a quarter, how much money did they give you? That sort of thing. Right. Um, uh, and um, the guy called me and he was like, I don't think you belong here and I, I literally said i said i don't think you understand i've done nothing but stare at the wall for two weeks and he said okay you can start tomorrow i didn't even interview him. he just made it come in and started <laughs> um and i worked there for a while until um i got a job doing sales um at the passing a playhouse which is something i'd done in philadelphia for other nonprofit performing arts groups um and then um, ultimately, started doing you know business to business sales. Uh, it was it was a very organic process that happened over time. This was all while I was taking private lessons in clarinet and also teaching uh, privately for clarinet.
0: Love that. And your third and final defining moment.
1: Those are the two biggest ones. I'm trying. I'm sure I'll think of it like later. I don't have a. I have both my parents. I haven't lost my parents yet. You know, I my family is still around. It's a small family. Um, I don't have any kids, so I can't say uh, the birth of my child or anything. Um,
0: okay. All right. Well, then let's just let's just jump into uh, uh, I'll pick love. Let's choose love as our first topic then. How do you uh, what, what is love, Erica? What is love?
1: Oof. What is love? Love is love is just comfort. Love is feeling like your home. Love is just that sense of belonging, I'd say.
0: Got it. Who was your first
1: love? Oof, um, probably my college boyfriend.
0: Yeah. And uh, and how did that how did that start? How did that end?
1: So you're not have you spent any time? Wait, how much time have you spent on the East Coast?
0: Uh, 18 years.
1: Okay, where where, where I can't remember. You told me. I apologize.
0: Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm from Florida, Fort Lauderdale.
1: Okay. Okay. So, all right. So you wouldn't, you would not, if you were from New York, you might be familiar with what I was talking about. But if you're from Florida, probably not. So in Philadelphia, there's this thing called the Mummers Parade and these Mummers Clubs. And they're, they're very old school organizations where like, it's, it's very South Philadelphia, primarily Italian and Irish and they put on the Mummer's Day Parade in Philadelphia. It's just a very old school sort of work, you know, historical like families that have lived there for generations clubs and they, so the New Year's Day Parade is famous. And um, my friend was playing in one of the Mummer's bands on New Year's Day. So they got, they don't, you know, they don't party the night before, they have to get up at four in the morning, but then they party New Year's Day in the evening. And Mm -hmm. I remember getting there and so she's like come with me to the party so i went with her to the party and i was just like i don't think i've seen so many good-looking italian drunk guys in one place at one time ever in my entire life like this is great and ironically i ended up meeting the irish guy um, at, at the bar and like just we hit it off and, and took it from there and there was just you know a certain level of comfort and stuff i mean we had very different backgrounds and um i don't know if things if i would <laughs> you know like it's I, I, we there was a comfort level there that was good for me and stuff and i I think there was maybe a little bit of an insecurity on his part if like being older like i would have gone back and pushed it be like hey like let's work through this this is like a stupid reason to break up this is a stupid reason to do xyz but also like when you're that young and you're insecure like like maybe you just need time to grow up so it's very hard to say like you know 20 years you know having 20 to look up back on how you'd handle a relationship 20 years ago when you're both completely different people is kind of doesn't necessarily serve a purpose but 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 yeah like i think i I also was moving to los angeles and i think the idea of like having someone who just like has the guts to just pack up all their stuff and just move across the country was just like (laughs) you know like that's not a thing a lot of like people do um i mean i did but did your, did your, uh,
0: what did your parents think about it? Or what, what's your relationship with your parents? Like, did they say anything about... About you
1: getting... the boyfriend? Or the moving to LA?
0: Moving to LA. Like, just her whole life choices, I guess.
1: Um, so my mom did not approve of me moving to LA. Like, at all. Like, that, I, and it's funny because, I mean, she's worked through whatever she needed to work through because she denies that that was a thing. But it was, I mean, she was not... I mean, she's never going to see this, right? Like, I have to figure yeah, she can. <laughs> like, she she was she was kind of mean to me. She was not the most, you know. That was not the strong. The, my mom and I have a really good relationship now, but at the time, um, she she was not supportive. Um, that's kind of an understatement. And um, can you but share I the story? say what?
0: Can you elaborate more on this story?
1: <laughs> I'm trying to, to figure out what's appropriate to share. She was just kind of obnoxious. She was just kind of obnoxious. She, she just told me, like I had some money that was given to me at a certain point. And um, she's like, oh, you're a spoiled brat. You shouldn't use this money to do this. And so I was going to not do it. And then I was talking to somebody else who's like was like a mentor to me and, and they were like, so if this is something you really, really want to do, oftentimes people use money as an excuse like you can't use money as an excuse, like figure out how much money you need to do to do it. And if you feel like set a goal and then save up the money of money you need to do it and then you do it. Like don't use this like money as an excuse thing just because someone told you like you're a spoiled brat. And then I went and crunched the numbers. and It was like, wait, now I can afford to do this now. Like <laughs> this is <enough. laughs> like, I'll just do it now. <laughs> so. Um, so, I mean, it was rough. I slept on an air mattress for like my first year in L.A., Um, Mm. But, but I think that my mom and I, my mom and I have a really good relationship now for the most part. I don't think we'd have the relationship that we have now. If I hadn't, if I had bent to what she, I don't, she wanted me to move back to Virginia, but not into her home, but into an apartment complex down the street where there's nothing for me like like it's like I remember reading the story to someone else and they're like so your mom wants her cake she, she wants her cake and she wants to eat it too right you know and I'm just like I'm like it, there was like most people that were moving back towards their parents town were moving back in with their parents and my mom's like no we had kids later in life we're, we're too old for this it's like wait you want me to move back to Virginia but you want to move back down the street which where there's nothing for me like nothing um, I'll, you know, if I'm gonna not move west, you know, I'll stay in Philadelphia because Philadelphia was, you know, it was is a relatively inexpensive city compared to like any of the other major cities. Do you do? You, what would you say
0: to like the kids who don't have a, a good relationship with their mother? You know, that are in high school and their mom. Kind of, how, how would they? How would they? How would they go about building that relationship with their mom, or, or you know, like if they wanted to bad a relationship with their mom?
1: So what's kind of hard about like relationships is that like it's hard to see it when you're like. 16 is that your relationships go through phases like you could have years where you're like really close with your mom and then you can have years with your mom where you're like gonna kill each other and then like you know i don't know who changes or you know it's not worth psychoanalyzing like who was the one that changed or came to the realization like i parents have a hard time i don't remember i mean i remember being stressed when i went moved to philadelphia um but nothing like the stress that she exuded when I moved to LA after I finished six years in Philly. And so, you know, like you have to realize that they're humans too. And like, I think when you're a parent though, the the dynamic, when you have a child, like a, a child who's still a kid and versus a child who's a parent is that you like, there's this, you have to stay strong as the parent. And so I think that sometimes, I mean, maybe now they're all into like gentle parenting. That wasn't like a thing. I don't think it was a thing when you were growing up, right? Like it definitely wasn't a thing when I was growing up. <laughs> and and so like, you know, people, they, they don't necessarily share like their, what their concerns are, you know, what their fears are, what their whatever thing is, you know. And and I think it's sometimes you have to, and I've learned this as, as a manager in sales, that like you have to let, you have to give people room to make mistakes And I think that's very difficult to do, especially if you care about someone a lot. And I'm not even sure it's necessarily a mistake. Like, I think. How did you you deal with
0: it, though? Like, when your mom was giving you all that stress, like, how did you deal
1: with, you know, your. I got a therapist (laughs) 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 who just, like, helped me talk it through, you know? It was just sort of like, you know, and it was just sort of like, okay, like, this is i'll just i don't know i just moved out here and eventually over time like it just became clear that you know i i basically over a period of time it became clear that if i wanted to continue to pursue music that it was i wasn't good enough to make it into like one of the top 11 orchestras in the united states like there's literally a total of like 40 really well-paying clarinet jobs in the entire country like literally like you have to wait for someone to die And then you have to audition with a thousand other people. And I'm not being facetious, like, that's literally how competitive it is. Um, And there are other jobs as a musician, but there's a huge gap in pay. So then they're like between 30 and 50 something. And then there's nothing in between. And then there's the six figure salaries. And, um, it just sort of organically happened over time. I wasn't going to make the top 11 and you know, the the pay on the lower ones wasn't that good. So you have to do freelance work. And then it was just basically it became clear that my music was going to be a business. And if I was going to do business, I might as well do an industry that like something I could actually make good money doing, um, where there's a little bit more, I mean, I've always done sales like sales has always been, it was clear that I was going to end up doing sales from like a young age. I was always like the kid who did the band fundraiser growing up and stuff. But, um, Where was I going with this?
0: Uh, Let's go go straight to the topic of money since we're
1: talking about money. How how do you make
0: money? How do I I make
1: money? money? Um, I'm kind of on sabbatical right now, which is kind of an interesting thing to say. Um, I I am very fortunate in that I have worked really, really hard over the last 17, 18 years and built up some uh, residual income from commissions because I've worked in 100% commission sales. And um, I didn't think I'd be able to live off of just my renewals. And then I got some music students out of nowhere, like out of nowhere, um, which has actually been boosting my income as well. Um, But uh, when I'm not on sabbatical, um, I have done business to business sales and um, intend to open a consulting firm to help tech companies get better at selling their services, not to investors, but to the businesses Themselves. I've seen a pattern of tech companies where they learn how to sell their services to investors, and then they pivot to sell to the business businesses, and they use the exact same sales script, and it does not work. And I asked a, a mentor friend, I'm like, is it just me, or is this a pattern I'm seeing? And his hands down, his words were, I remember them for the verbatim. He's like, he's like, hands down, 100%, unequivocally, yes. like this is a pattern like the tech companies they work really hard on like mastering this pitch to get money from vcs and then they don't know how to pivot to to change their 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 pitch for companies like there's tons of of things they can do there's tons of seminars they can go to so but it's not it's seminars for selling your services to another business is needs to be a little bit more customized
0: um i guess my question would be you know you have I guess over 15 years just doing B2B sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sales is pretty, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you reach out to 100 people, maybe three people reach back to you and maybe one person closes the deal. Um, that's that's probably the general understanding. I guess my, my question is, um, once you actually close the deal, how do you maintain that relationship? You know, like, like you being in, in insurance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like how important is it Like, is it important? Like, after you you get them to sign up to to do that, like, how important is it to keep in touch with them? How often do you keep in touch with them? Mm -hmm. Is that more important than actually... Closing the first sale, or
1: well, you have to understand it. It depends when. You, so, so that's a sort of because you you're familiar with my background. I do employee benefits. Um, so because that's a renewal commission, and half of your income is from your renewals, right? So, and your residual income. So, to clarify that, because in a lot of companies, you once you sell it, like it's somebody else's job to keep the the business on the books. So just to point that out that there, there are plenty of jobs and sales, where maintaining the relationship is no longer your responsibility. And so if you have no desire to do that, <laughs> part of the work, then then look for that kind of job, because it is it is two different skill sets. Um, uh, but for me, it's there's sort of like an open enrollment annual renewal, I think when I was new with Aflac, um, I had like an Aflac franchise for people that are on here, uh, the insurance company, um, I when i was when i was newer in my career i spent a lot of time nurturing my relationships with all of my clients and stuff and and i had really great retention on all of those clients but you can i mean there's a there's a once you reach a certain point you start to lose a return on your investment um and so you have to find like i could spend you know i could sp- easily spend 40 hours a week just making sure all my clients are happy how about,
0: like- how about how about for the kids uh just uh, let's say your like, kid is in high school and uh-huh. they want to, you know, they want to do a band fundraiser, you know, okay. like they're doing their band fundraiser. What? What? And like I say, they want to raise for a trip to like okay. D.C. or something like that. And they need 10 grand. Okay. What is? And they need it in 90 days. What,
1: what... <laughs> All right. 10 grand is a lot. All right, I, I can tell you because my high school, I went to one of the best, my high school band program had stuff set up. So, like, don't try and do everything yourself. Like, there are people, like, don't recreate the real from scratch. Like, Yeah, you know, let's and, say and, there's,
0: a, there's a group of, like, 30 kids and the teacher. Okay. Like, What do they do if they want to So, you'll
1: them? laugh at this because you're now in California and you're from Florida originally, but no one in Northern Virginia blinked an eye. So, when I, my high school band, when we did, and we did exactly these things, okay? So, we would sell, we would get oranges trucked in from Florida in December. We would sell these massive crates of really fresh oranges, which out here everyone thinks is crazy, but, like, like it was great. Because you you can go and you show and you show up with box candy. Then you buy the box candy because you don't want to hurt the kids' feelings, but you don't really want the box candy, right? But like crate of really fresh oranges that were trucked in straight from from florida so like people actually don't mind spending twenty dollars i have no idea what the profit margins was but i just i just go to door to like that the thing about selling oranges is that oranges are perceived of as a commodity like i mean you know it's you don't have to sell like why this orange is better than another orange it's just like look this is an orange it's really good and you're going to support the community and you know i would go through my neighborhood and so they knew i was part of the neighborhood and so they wanted to support me Um, and, um, and so you just, you just, you have to just do it, you know, but you, I mean, there were years when we bought, I sold so many oranges that like the back of the minivan, like the suspension, like the car was lower to the ground because there was that many pounds of oranges in the car. Cause I, we had, so the oranges are trucked into Virginia and then, and then my parents would pick me up and help me deliver the oranges to the neighborhood, but I would paid for many band trips doing that. Yeah
0: so you so you would recommend them selling a product whether it's chocolate oranges and, and, they, oh. go to, and okay. they go oh and then they go Okay.
1: Yeah, so, okay. So so my mom used to say she's my cuz my high school band was it's one of the best high school band programs in the country and my mom's like I've never seen an organization do such a good job of fundraising like at anywhere. Um so you shake it up. Like you don't want to like you can i mean you like it's orange okay so we sell oranges in december but we don't sell oranges like every time a year we sell oranges in december like right but um there was one day a year they called it tag day i don't remember the name came from and we just would go door to door it was the same day every year it was like the sunday before school started or something and we went door to door and asked for money for the band program But the band program was well known because the band program, like we had 4,000 kids, I mean, 4,000 kids in the school and 400 kids in the marching band. It was a massive program. And, um, you know, the the people knew the band program, like it was kind of famous. So once, so, so, you know, we do Oranges in December, but on Tag Day, we just went door to door and asked for money. And people, it was so, Tag Day was so well-known in the area that we would show up and there would be checks taped to the door. Like people left the house, but they knew it was tag day. and They just left checks for us. And what was so impressive is that at the end of every street, the, you know there'd be a band parent with an envelope. And so the band could tell you after collecting like thousands and thousands of dollars, they could tell you every, how many dollars came from each street. So the next year when we went back to do it again, we'd hit the streets that gave us the most money first.
0: I like that. I yeah, like that. It, they were on
1: a, because they told us specifically not to repeat this, but I'm not saying the name of my high school, so I can I can say it. Yeah, one year we collected $26,000 in one day. Okay. <laughs> that's what, like, that's just really well organized. There's like, okay, we're putting, you know, four kids in each car, and you know, here's a map, these are the streets you have to go to, You know, here's an envelope for this street, here's an envelope for this street, here's an envelope for this street. And they kept track of, like, they knew where every penny came from out of that $26,000. I mean, so it's a good, it's, it's also a well, it's all good neighborhood. I, to be fair, like you couldn't do that in, in a poor neighborhood. <laughs> I'm realizing I'm coming from a place of privilege as I'm telling this story. Like it's, it's, it's a combination of the two.
0: No, but that's good though. That mean, I mean, you guys had like a sales strategy, like putting the kids to work. I don't think a lot of schools even understand how to do that um, or yeah. even are, are doing that.
1: That's true. So that's
0: great. Any, uh, any, any money tips on the side for about kids who want to make a side hustle?
1: Yeah, OK, so first off, live below your means. Like, I, I wasn't planning. What were
0: you doing in high school?
1: In high school? Well, it just depends. I mean, I was told to get good grades so I could get a scholarship, which is so that was my focus. So did, did I make a lot of money in, in college, in high school? No, um, I was definitely coming from a place of privilege where I didn't really have tons of stuff I needed. But like, but I could still, I, that doesn't mean you can't. That doesn't mean you can't, right? Um, so if you want to make a high side hustle, in even high school.
0: like even even not, maybe not even high school, maybe just a recent grad, you know. Okay. Like you, how, if you if we were to go back and you came back to LA for the first time instead of applying for a subway job, and you wanted to to do another side hustle with oh. the novelty what would
1: you do? Okay. All right. Actually, sorry. So that's not entirely true. That's not entirely true because I did do fundraising and sometimes I would get paid commissions on the fundraising. Like it wasn't all like, vol- it wasn't always for my high school band. Like I did other stuff where I was also paid commission. So that's not, in- and even in college. So when I was in college, I got jobs. Oh gosh, I had a lot of different sales jobs. Um, I did fundraising for the Kimmel Center, which is like the Disney Hall, but Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Orchestra. And I would call, so you get paid like I don't know eight dollars an hour, or whatever the minimum wage was at the time, plus commission. And I don't don't ask me what the commission was, but but um, I would just call, like I was selling something that I really believed in, like go go see the arts in, in concert, go go see the arts, like you're going to enjoy this, you're it's going to be a respite from your week. Like it's, you, you know, You this is something that you will enjoy that you need to consciously choose to set time aside for yourself to enjoy. And let me tell you about how amazing these artists are that are coming up in this program. And be like, so it's Yo-Yo Ma's playing. And then we've got this jazz artist and we've got, you know we've got this group and we've got this group. And like people just assumed I was a volunteer. And I mean, you know, they were, uh, yes, I was paid a commission. They were also very happy to pay me a commission. I remember the second, I did it for two years. And when I when I left, because I was moving to LA for the second year, I remember the manager just freaking out. She's like, losing Eric is like losing eight employees. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you just get on the, like, enthusiasm sells. Enthusi- like, if you have to, obviously, don't sell anything that you don't see, like, value in. Um, but enthusiasm goes a really long way. Um, so I sold, I I sold subscriptions to concert series. Um, I I did, I got people to sign up for credit cards at Philly stadium. So if you signed up for a credit card, you get a free t-shirt. So I don't necessarily believe in like, like it didn't, for me, I wasn't selling the value of a credit card. It was like, look, if you sign up for a free t-shirt, you get a credit card. And like, do you need another credit card? Yeah, I mean, I didn't ask them that. I just sort of said, Hey, like it, it was, it was, it was, not a hard sell. It was, it was, it was a lot of drunk people who wanted a free t-shirt. So, so um, I made that the first year I did it, I made actually really good money. I just, I hustled like crazy. And then I also learned that, to make friends with the people that work the concessions. And I would give the people that work concessions free t-shirts and they'd give me hot dogs and ice cream sundaes. It was like the best summer ever.
0: <laughs> I love it. So so enthusiasm, uh, make friends with people so you get some hookups.
1: <laughs> Yo, you are like just hustle, like just, just like energy is contagious. I mean, and then sometimes like you just have to fake the energy like I would work so hard during the you know, baseball game is a long time. So to run around screaming like a crazy person, get your free T-shirt like by the end of like after two hours, there were games where I was so exhausted that i just started to fake a new york accent like i can't fake a new york accent like i i don't i'm not an actor i have no accents like i just i don't even remember what came out of my mouth i just remember being so slap happy silly that like it was just something to keep myself amused so i could continue like going out and like talking to people and stuff and and um yeah i mean i did that so i did the, yeah i did the, the the credit cards at dodger stadium i did I did concert sales. Um, I organized for my sorority. I had a music sorority that I was in. It was technically a woman's fraternity. Don't ask, I don't, I can't answer the question. Um, and I organized this fundraiser for bumper stickers. Like we got, I went to the Dean of the music school and they like approved this Temple University music bumper sticker, which I don't think they previously had and like, I don't know. I just told people, like, look, it's for a women's organization and it's part of the music school and it's temple and it's a dollar. And or, like people just bought them just because, I mean, it was a charity thing. Right. So and, and the money was going to a good cause. But like people, I think people just give me a dollar just to like, OK, go away.
0: You I know, love it. like
1: I love it. But I'm trying to figure out. I mean, I sold tons of stuff. I've always sold stuff. Um,
0: I think I think I think everything you gave was 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 really good. Um, okay. um, let's move on to the last topic, which is okay. education okay how how what would you say the kids who are like i'm over school i don't want to go to college
1: that is a hard one that is a hard one for me to answer um because i come from a family that is very much into education like very much values education and i'm working in a field where like my my nobody like right now I put I put my master's in clarinet on my resume I've had a weird sort of journey where I put it on just because you know I had like I didn't have that much because I was a kid so I had my degrees and then I had to take it off the resume because people were convinced that like I was just pursuing this as a part-time job while I was pursuing clarinet and now I'm finally old enough that I can put my master's of clarinet back on my resume and people are like what that's so cool like it always stands out people like it's one of the first things people ask me they're like you have not one, but two degrees in clarinet. I'm like, that's correct, yes. So, um, I'm over school. Don't be, it's, I can't, and I, it's not even fair. Like, I'm not even a place where I can speak of uh, in, of expertise because like college was expensive when we, when I went and when we went or did, and then, and now it's even more expensive, right? So I think some things, all right. So if we have to weigh at the pros and the cons here, just be aware that there are some degree, there are some careers that you might want to pursue that will require you to get, like ha- that you have to have a degree, or that you might want to go, like maybe later you decide you want to go back and you do like this degree, this job requires a master's in business. Well, if you already knocked out, like it's it's a m- much more intimidating for some- than when they're eighteen. Like, there's definitely this intimidation factor. And I don't know why it exists. I just know it does just from, from friends that never got college degrees and then were horribly intimidated to go back later. Um, so if someone came to me and said, I'm over school, you know, I don't want to go to college. I'd be like, okay, so what do you want to do? Like, what, what like, give me like five, 10, like, tell me about things, what excites you? What do you want to do with your life? You know, so forth and so on. And, and see if they've actually tried a bunch of things because you don't really know what you like like i didn't think i was going to go into sales like i don't i don't know like the writing was on the wall since forever but like that was never like a thing you know Um, but i just tried a bunch of things and it just organically happened um have a plan like if you're not going to go to college like don't do nothing like you have to do something, like you have to do something with your life. So if it's not going to college, then like you're going to get out of high school and you have a, like, you already decided how you're going to hustle. Like, you know, don't, I mean, you can get like, there's nothing with God, for example, like getting a job at Foot Locker, like out of high school, like that's okay. But like, if you're going to get a job at Foot Locker. Get a job at Foot Locker for one of two reasons. Get a job at Foot Locker because you really enjoy retail sales and you have intentions of climbing the ladder within Foot Locker and you want to be a a regional area manager because those guys are actually make really good money. You know, if you're in charge of like 10 different Foot Locker stores, those guys make six year salaries. All right. Um, But, you know, do it because you really want like like you enjoy customer service and you enjoy sales or do it because it's an, an ends to a means. So you get that job at Foot Locker right out of high school, and you're using every moment when you're not at Foot Locker to pursue a business path. But if you don't know and you can find somebody to give you scholarship money, then like just don't do nothing because that like time is everything. Like you can't get time back. And so, and you if you don't know what you want to do, just try things and try things and try things because eventually you will try something and you will be like. Wow, this is way more fun than I thought it was going to be.
0: Is that how you kind of went down your path? You just started trying things, or you always?
1: Um, yeah. So the, when I started doing the insurance sales, it was supposed to be a part-time thing, and to, to support my clarinet career. And then I started winning these vacations, <laughs> and I was like, "All right, this is kind of cool. Like, I like free trips to free places and like eating and drinking on people's other dimes, you know?" Um, and and then you start to actually realize like, oh, all right, this is actually fun. Like it's, you know, like, like, what is if, if this is where I am in my career and I'm winning free trips and that's cool. But like, what would happen if I actually took this part-time thing seriously? Like, what if I really mastered my craft in sales? Like, what does that mean? Um, and then getting really good at it and starting to like, I think the hardest part that stepping away from music is, all right, so when you get into music, Like in your high school band or whatever elementary school band like there's just kids play instruments and then you get in middle school it's a little bit smaller and you get into high school and depending on your high school it may or may you know get competitive or not i mean i'm very fortunate i came from a place of privilege um but then outside of my high school then there were like even more competitive things that i auditioned for and got into and and then you get into college and like the conservatory level and like you just you're surrounded by people who are so passionate about what they do and like you know and and you just have so much in common with these people and like it's they're just such interesting fascinating people and when you step away from that you're like you know i'm never going to have that community again but then you get into sales and you get higher and higher and higher and higher up and the, the community gets smaller and smaller the higher up you get and you you do you find people who are like crazy passionate about entrepreneurship who can talk about like business all day long and uh, it's hard to pre- like, if you had told me 20 years ago, that I would be talking to you about entrepreneurship, and tech startups, and like how like, they don't do marathons, and running and marathons, right? Like, there's no way like, you just have no like, there's no way to predict that I'd be running marathons. And that I would be like, like, I want to be with my new company, like, I want to be the company that venture capitalists call after they've invested in a company and say come yeah you know, i need you to spend some time with these people and you need to figure out like what is is their sales pitch working if not how can we change it what can we, you know what how do we want to revamp this whole everything um to to do it uh because they because the the smaller companies don't necessarily have the funds for VP of sales or like they hire salespeople and they think the salespeople are gonna be able to figure it out. And that's just a joke. Like it's, it's, it's really silly to think that you can hire a salesperson at $20 an hour and, and that they're going to figure it out on their own. Like, like they, they will, they'll, they'll figure it out how to do it at a substandard level. But if they had someone who was like, let me show you how to do this. Can you mirror this at something that's four times better the chances that they'll be doing it three times better are probably really good. They just have to see someone else do it
0: I love it uh, any last words tips for the kids or do you want to share your last defining moment
1: this interview no I'm joking no, uh, yeah yeah I, I think I tried what else is there you know uh, you know live within your means live within your means um, I it shocks me how many people live even people who make really good money live paycheck to paycheck and that's just a really stressful way to live your life and I was just raised in a family that was always self-employed so that meant I mean I never felt it but by definition they're self-employed so that means their incomes are like this but if you if you live conservatively and you save money like there are so many things in your life that can be really really stressful and so many people live with money being a major stressor in their lives. And I think that's something I've learned is is how much happier you can live when you don't do that. And, and that. and that it's not a skill that a lot of people are like, you get money, oh, it's payday, let's go spend money. Like, you know, like most, 90% of the population was not raised to to not do that. So if you wanna be happy, don't spend all your money.
0: Live below your means, guys. I love it. What uh where can people find you if they want to reach out?
1: You know? Oh, good question. Thank you. Um my Instagram account is probably the best. Um uh, my handle is slow but steady underscore MVP. That's my my uh, public Instagram account. Slow but steady underscore MVP. Thank you. On Instagram.
0: All right, cool. There you go, guys. Um thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. Uh, Before I forget, if you guys uh, are going through anything and you do feel like you need someone to talk to, if you have depression or suicidal thoughts, do text HOME to 741-741. That is a national helpline. Um, It actually works. Um, Other than that, if you are interested in jumping on the community hotline to share your personal experiences, just like Erica, feel free to send me a message. And uh, thank you guys for joining us. And we will see you next time. (laughs) i <laughs>